Well, good morning, church. Wet, dry, a little bit of both. What a blessing it is that we still get to come here. Uh, there's churches scattered throughout the country that cannot do what we're doing. And so whether it's raining, and it's cold, and the weather may seem favorable to us, it is a blessing that we're here together, and so we can praise God for that. Last week we began a series, our Christmas series, that we're calling Advent. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And really what Advent is, is it's the anticipated arrival of Jesus. That's what this, this season is. You know, it's, it's the Christmas season, but, but for, for the church, for the body of Christ, for followers of Jesus, this is a season of celebration for what God has done for you, for me, by sending His Son into the world. It's also a season of anticipation where where Jesus will come again. There will be a second advent in our very near future. And so last week we looked at how God brought His Son in the world. We looked at the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus. And we saw that, that Jesus came through brokenness. Jesus came through the morally outcasts. Jesus came through imperfect people. And not only did, did, did that happen, not only did Jesus come through brokenness he came for the broken not only did jesus come through the morally outcasts jesus came for the morally outcasts and not only did jesus come through perfect people jesus came for imperfect people and so uh, today we're going to continue telling this story the story of how god brought him into the world and so if you have your bible you can turn to matthew chapter one matthew chapter one Last week was the genealogy. Today we, we enter into maybe some of y'all's favorite part of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. The Bible says this, the, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So I have three points for us this morning. Three points that I believe will help us unpack what God is saying in His Word today. My first point is this. Jesus offers a new beginning. Jesus offers... Can you get that slide up there? Jesus offers a new beginning. So go back to Matthew 1, verse 18. Now it says, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So in your Bible, I don't know if you, if you underline or circle or, or highlight, whatever it is that you do, do one of those three things to that word birth. That word birth is the same exact word in Greek for the word genealogy in verse 1. And it's the word gentios. It, it means genesis. It's where we get the word genesis. It's where we get the word beginning. So if you think about it, this takes us all the way back to the actual beginning. Genesis 1. The Bible says this, in the beginning, there's that word again, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now pull up the next slide. It says, this is in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' apostles. He writes this, in the beginning, there's that word again, was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And through him all things were made, and without him not anything was made that was made. 
so we can hang here for a moment. Uh, what's Word mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. What, what's that Word? So John, the Apostle John, purposely uses that Word. Word. So Word here has a significant meaning not only to Jewish people, but to Greeks. For Jewish people, uh, to say the Word, the Word of God, it's associating with God Himself. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 17, it says that Moses brought out the people to meet with God. But in the Hebrew translation, what it says is that Moses brought out the people to meet with the Word of God. And so Jewish culture, they, they, especially the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, the ones who taught the Scriptures, they often associated God's Word, the Word of God, with God Himself. So when John says in the beginning was the Word, they know, hey, that's God. This is a reference to God. Now if you think about it in Greeks, because John is writing this to everyone, Gentiles, Greeks, but for Greeks that word, it means logos. That's what that word means in the Greek. It means logos. So for a Greek person or a Gentile, a person outside of the Jewish faith or, or faith would to read that, they would think that is the creative order behind all things. That there is some supreme higher power who, who brought existence to all creation. There, there's some supreme high ruler, ruler who brought uh, order to the universe. So this, our world is, isn't just it's not that it's chaotic, but there there's seems to be a sense to it. There seems to be order in it because there's a higher supreme ruler or being who brought existence or beginning to all things. And what John is saying is that word, the creative order behind all things, is Jesus. And you can go to verse 14, John 1 verse 14. This just helps us out. If we're confused by what the word is, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only is the Word Jesus, not only has God come to us in the person of Jesus, but this God, this Jesus, is full of grace and truth. So if you want to know what the point of all of existence is, what's the point of our being here, and what's the truth behind all things, John says, the truth behind all things, the reason you're here, the, the reason why we all exist, the, the truth is Jesus Himself. Now John's not the only one who talks about uh, Jesus being the one who was in the beginning. He's not only with God in the beginning, but He is in fact God. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Colossians 1. Uh, they both, John and the Apostle Paul, they say that all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. John says, there's not anything that's been made that wasn't made by Jesus. So you have to understand, when we look at Matthew 1, verse 18, when we're seeing the birth of Jesus, this is not the very beginning of the existence of Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son being Jesus, and God the Spirit. So when Jesus is born in Bethlehem here in Matthew 1, this is not the very beginning of the existence of Jesus. What John is saying and what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, Jesus was there in the beginning, and He was not created. He is the Creator. He always was. He has existed from eternity past. And John is saying, at the very beginning, and in Genesis 1, God, Jesus, they're there as well as the Spirit of God in the creation story. Not only that, 
But the Bible says that Jesus created you and me. In fact, the Bible says that before the universe came into existence, before God spoke galaxies into existence, before He spoke the universe into existence, before He spoke billions upon billions upon billions of stars into existence, He already knew you by your name. How incredible is that? The power behind the Christmas story is God has come to us. That's the power behind this season. God has come to us. And what you see in Genesis 1 is that God's Spirit is actively involved in the creation story. God's Spirit is actively involved in, in, the, in all things being created. But then when you get to Matthew 1, the first book of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's involved in the recreation of Jesus. Or in the creation of bringing Jesus into existence in the flesh. God is with us. So think about this. As God brought a beginning to the universe, He brings a new beginning through the birth of Jesus. Now if you have your Bible, you can flip back to Luke. It says that an angel of the Lord comes to Mary and tells her, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. And he's going to be the son of God. But then he tells Mary, but not only that, you're going to have a, your relative Elizabeth, she's going to have a child too. She's going to give birth, birth to a son as well. And look what it says in Luke 1 verse 36. It says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So last week we talked about how Rahab was introduced as the prostitute named Rahab. We're in the New Testament now, and this is a relative of, of the mother of Jesus. And look how they reference her. Her who was called barren. That's what Elizabeth was known for in her day and her age. In her community, in her neighborhood, in her subdivision, whatever you want to call it, Elizabeth was known as someone who was called barren. And the reason that is, is she was unable to conceive a child. Her and her husband were not able to have kids. Not only that, but they're older in years. So scientifically, it's impossible for them to have kids. And this was what Elizabeth was labeled as. Her who was called barren. Now you have to imagine the shame that this woman is feeling. You have to imagine the hardships that this woman has experienced. The townspeople. I, I, look, look what the NIV says. So an angel of the Lord comes to Mary. says, Mary, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to save his people from their sins. Oh, and by the way, in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative who's unable to have kids, she's older in her years, uh, scientifically impossible for her to have kids, even she's going to have a child. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And look at the response that Elizabeth has when an angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth to a son. Luke 1, verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. Scientifically, it was impossible. Physically, it was impossible for me to have a child. I couldn't have one in my younger years. I certainly can't have one in my older years. It was impossible. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
Elizabeth not being able to have a child brought disgrace to her name. Imagine what this woman is feeling. This poor woman. Now, it also says that Elizabeth and her husband were righteous before God. They were both walking blamelessly in His commandments and in His, and in his statutes. They were godly people. Often they would associate, if a woman couldn't have a child, it was because they weren't favored by God. They, they were cursed by God. But it says here that both of those, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous. They were both godly. They obeyed God's law. They obeyed God's Word. It wasn't because they were cursed. They simply couldn't have a baby. Before the foundation of the world, I would submit to, you to say, this was God's plan all along. That's what God does. He shows up and He does the impossible. Elizabeth was known as Elizabeth the barren. And it brought disgrace upon her name. Now if you go back to last week, again we mentioned Rahab. Rahab was introduced not as Rahab the prostitute, but as the prostitute named Rahab. But not according to God. God would use Rahab to bring His people into the promised land. And ultimately, God would preserve Rahab's life. And it's not because she was just randomly chosen by chance. It was because of her faith. Look what the new, So the Old Testament introduces Rahab as uh, the prostitute named Rahab. Look what the New Testament says about Rahab in Hebrews 11, verse 31. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab became a woman of faith. And God preserved her life. So the prostitute named Rahab became this woman of great faith whose, whose name is found in the lineage of names that brought into the world the Son of God. And Elizabeth the barren, who was defeated, probably depleted, shamed by her community, her neighbors, her, her friends, told she could never have kids, scientifically impossible, physically impossible, then God gets involved. And look what it says. Elizabeth, you're going to give birth to a son. And the Spirit of God will rest on him. And he will make straight ways for the Lord. You see, when God gets involved, things change. When God gets involved, things change. When God gets involved in your life, things change. When God gets involved in, in the life of a church, things change. When God gets involved in your neighborhood, things change. Which, by the way, maybe God gets involved in your neighborhood through you. Maybe you're that person. Maybe I'm that person. Where, where God gets involved in the people around us through our lives. When God gets involved, things change. Lives change. We're talking about the eternal God who created all things come to us in the person of Jesus, lived a perfect life, never sinned, not one time, yet died on the cross for the sins of the world. Died on the cross for your sin and mine. When God gets involved, things change. When God speaks, things change. God spoke and there was light. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So when God speaks life into people, things change. And maybe you can have a moment now or later even and think back when God first spoke life into you. Did it, did it change your life? Maybe the first time you heard the Word of God spoken to you, whether it was from a position like this or, or from a neighbor or a friend or a relative, when God speaks, 
life into someone, it changes them. It's exactly what John uh, calls Jesus, says about him in, in John 1. He says, in him, meaning Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot, will not overcome it. Jesus is life. And when Jesus speaks life into someone, it changes them. Not only that, but Jesus brings new life. Jesus brings a new beginning. That's what you see in verse 18 of chapter 1. When God brings about the birth of His Son, what He's doing is He's bringing about a new beginning. A fresh start to all who trust in His name. Jesus is the power of God made manifest. And He brings life to the lifeless. He brings life to the hurting. He, he brings life to to those who are shamed and, and, and guilt-driven. Jesus, when He speaks life into someone, it, it changes them. Think about your life. Now I'm talking to you as an individual. Think about your own life. Did Jesus bring a new beginning in your life? Did Jesus bring you a, a fresh start? When you trusted in His name, when you believed in the Gospel, when you were baptized with Him, identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection. Did Jesus bring about for you a new beginning? Did He bring about for you a fresh start? Because that's what Jesus does for everyone who trusts and believes in His name. You know, I, I drank for 10 years. Now, there may be people in this room who've drank way longer than I have. And, and, and I would love to hear your story of, of redemption. And, and, but I, for me, I drank for 10 years. And I progressively became an alcoholic. And I went to jail five times for that. Five times I sat in a jail cell, drunk. And there were several times, in fact, I think all five times, when I was let out the next morning, I started drinking early in the morning. That's what I did. That was my life. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't care about anything Jesus. I had no understanding of the Gospel. I was oblivious to all things Christianity. I was an alcoholic, living in rebellion against God. I was a crazy drinker. And you know what? That's what I was known for. I was known as the guy who got too obligerent. I was known as the guy who was obnoxious. I was known as the guy who wanted to be the life of the party. And I drank four, five, even six days a week. That was my life. There was no Jesus in my life. I did not want Jesus in my life. I wanted to pursue the things that I wanted to pursue. I was selfish. I was prideful. I was lost. But then, God got involved in my life. As God does. And, and my life changed. And over the course of time, really, I would say pretty quickly, I transitioned out what, of a life that I was living that I was known for. Nate, who's the alcoholic, or the alcoholic, who was Nate. And over time, I transitioned into a life where Nate is pursuing the things of God. And I couldn't have done that on my own. That was God's Spirit. And it's the same for you. See, I was one time an irresponsible person. An unreliable person to becoming a young man learning. It was almost as if I was relearning things in life. Relearning how to be an adult. 
relearning how to speak, relearning how to talk, pursuing the things of God. Jesus gave me new life. Jesus gave me a new beginning. In fact, Jesus gave me a fresh start. And He did the same for you. And often I have uh, friends in my life who they don't quite fathom what happened to me. I just, you, you, you have really good self-discipline. You must. I say, no. No. I was once drinking. I, want, I, I was once an alcoholic. And then, and then, then I, God got involved in my life and things changed. And you might say, how, how did that happen? How did that really happen? How, how could that have happened? And I love what it says in Luke 1 verse 37. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Angel of the Lord comes to Elizabeth, that who was called barren. You'll never have a kid. Uh, community, uh, your, your neighbors, your friends, uh, they know you'll never have kids and it's brought disgrace on your name. Uh, but, but hold up a minute. God's getting involved and now you're pregnant. Not only are you going to have a, a child, but you're going to have a son. And the Spirit of the living God is going to rest on Him and He's going to make a way for the Lord Jesus. For nothing will be impossible with God. So my first point is, uh, Jesus offers a new beginning, a, a fresh start. My second point is, Jesus offers you a new identity. Jesus offers you a new identity. We'll pick up in verse 19. It says this, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Second time you see the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, it's quite obvious, and I, I would gather that most of you might even agree with me, but people, I'm just talking about humanity as a whole, human beings, we all have different opinions on why the world is the way the world is. We all have different opinions on, on why the world is broken. Why the world is so messed up. We all have different opinions on why the world is the way it is. And to me, none could be more obvious than sin. Sin is the problem. At the very core, sin is the problem with the world. Why is the world broken? Sin. Why is the world messed up? Sin. Why are people evil? Sin. And the good, loving grace of our God and Father has sent the One who was perfect. The One who is perfectly good to make a sacrifice on our behalf so that we could actually become like Him and make the world a little bit better. You know what the Bible says about Mary? It says that Mary was highly favored. And it says that Joseph was a righteous man. So again, Mary and Joseph are godly people. There's nothing wrong with being godly. We would all want to be godly. And I think if you're like me, you want, you want to, for people to know that, that you're a godly person. Well, Mary and Joseph were. But they weren't without sin. They could have been the most righteous people on the planet, but it, they still were not without sin. And I know that because of what the Apostle Paul says. And this is the Word of the living God. It's perfect. And so Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how righteous a person is, uh, they're not without sin. And the Bible makes that clear. So, sin cannot be defeated. Sin cannot be destroyed. 
through natural causes. If it could, there'd be no need for Jesus. If sin could be stopped, if sin could be destroyed, if, if sin could be defeated, there'd be no need for Jesus. And Matthew says, that's why He came. To save from sin. Because we can't do it on our own. And the way to bring about the One who can save from sin can't happen through human conception. No matter how godly Mary may have been, no matter how righteous Joseph may have been, the one to save from sin couldn't have come through human conception. If it could, there'd be no need for the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Matthew is showing us. This child to be born from the Holy Spirit. And you are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save from sin. What you're seeing in the first few verses of the birth of Jesus is it's supernatural. The birth of our Lord is supernatural. It is not of this world. Jesus did not come through human conception. Jesus came through the Spirit of God. It's supernatural. There are many things that have happened to you and me throughout our lives. The longer that you have lived, the more you have probably experienced. There's a lot of things that have happened throughout our past that may still be attached to us. There's things maybe in your life that you did once in your previous years, in your former years, in your younger years even, that you just wish you didn't do. You know, if I just... If I, if I hadn't have gone, if I hadn't have said yes, if I hadn't have gotten that car, it, it never would have happened. There's things that we all wish we didn't do. There's things that we all wish that, that we could take back. There's things that, that we all wish we could erase from our history. Erase from our minds. Forget about them. There's things that we wish we could just blot out from our history, our lives, how we were brought up, our families, uh, Maybe some of you are thinking, if you only knew how I was raised, you'd understand. I hope to understand all people as they try to communicate their history, but more than, than anything, Jesus understands. He came through the, the worst of sinners. All brokenness. A lineage of broken people. How often I personally think back uh, uh, to who I used to be. The things that I've done. And, and I gave you kind of a, a bird's eye view of, of what my life was. And, and you all have lives as well. And, and maybe sometimes you often think back of who you used to be. The things that you had once did or, or even said. The person that you were. You wish maybe it just never happened. You know, four or five months or so after I had become a Christian, I was over at my aunt's house and I was sitting on the couch with my grandma. And, and my grandma, had look, she looked at me and she said, Nate, I'm so proud of you. By this point, I hadn't drank for four or five months. I hadn't drank since I had become a Christian. And my life was changing. I was pursuing the things of God. I began following Jesus, and my life was changing. That became evident. God's Spirit lived in me. I wanted to seek after the things of Jesus. So my, my grandma, she looks at me and she says, Nate, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And, and, and how your life is, is be, what it's, what's becoming of your life. And I looked at my grandma and I said, yeah, you know, Mima, that's what I call my grandma. You know, could you imagine if, if this would have happened years ago? Could you imagine where I'd be if this would have happened to me years ago? 
as if, God, why didn't you save me sooner? My grandma just looked at me and she said, what matters is you're here now. That's what matters. What, what matters is, is you're here now. And you know what? She's right. The Apostle Paul talks about this. You know, in, in Philippians, Paul is describing who he used to be. He was a Jewish leader. He was a, an elite student among all other students. Paul was destined for greatness. He, he calls himself a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He had the most zeal. Paul says, as for keeping the law, flawless. But then in 1 Timothy, Paul says uh, of his former life, as Paul was all those things, he was also a persecutor of God's church. Of all those things, Paul was also someone who, who ripped people like you and me out of their homes against their will and had them beaten and even put to death. You know what Paul describes his former life? The worst of all sinners. That's what Paul says of himself. I was the worst of all sinners. And we're talking about a man who's written two-thirds of the entire New Testament. I was the worst of all sinners. Yet he says, but none of that matters anymore. What matters is that I'm in Christ. And I belong to Jesus. And my life is devoted to making much of Him. So Paul says, none of that matters. And I love what he says in Philippians 3, verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, I haven't fully arrived just yet. I'm still a work in progress. Don't be discouraged by where you are spiritually. You're, you're never going to arrive until you get home. Until you get into the presence of Jesus Himself, you will never actually arrive. Paul says, I haven't arrived just yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's life, he's saying, you know, there's a lot of things I, probably, I wish I could change about myself. Maybe Paul was thinking, why couldn't I have been one of the twelve apostles? But Paul's saying, look, all the things that happened and occurred in my life, I'm, I'm leaving that in the past. And I'm moving forward. And Paul is making much of Jesus. That's what Paul's life is now. Making much of Jesus. Spending his life telling people about Jesus. Here's who I used to be, and God has used it for His glory because here is where I am now. Paul says, I forget what's behind, and I look forward to the upward call of God in Christ. And the same can be said about you. The same can be said about me. Your identity is not found who you used to be. If you lit it, it will be. But your identity, it, it's, it does not have to be found in a divorce. It doesn't have to be found in an addiction. It doesn't have to be found in broken relationships. It doesn't have to be found in your job, the money you make, the house you live in, the car you drive. Those don't define you. And your identity is not found in those things. And if you're going through a hardship right now in your life, nobody knows better or understands more than Jesus. But Jesus says of Himself, or John rather, says in Him was life. There is still life to be found through hardships. And it's found in Christ. Your identity is not found in the things that hurt you in this world. The things people may have said about you. The mistakes that you made. The person you used to be. Your identity is not found in those things. The Bible says if you came to Jesus by faith, your identity is found in Him. How amazing is that? You don't even have to change anything. 
Christianity is just found in Him. The moment you trust in Christ, the moment you're baptized with Him, and, and the moment you, you say, look, I want to follow Jesus. I'm tired of who, where, I, where I am. I'm tired of the life I'm living. I'm tired of what's happening. I want, to, I want more. I want better. Jesus has come to me. I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you a fresh start. We live in a, in a world where there's a lot of new age things happening. A lot of new age things being talked about. There's this guy by the name of Charles Bukowski, a new age person. He says, uh, invent yourself and then reinvent yourself. And uh, he talks about how you can simply reinvent yourself. You can make a new life for yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. Uh, the world is full of possibilities. Your entire life is a story and, and only you can tell it. And so don't settle for less and, and uh, don't accept the idea that you're stuck and, and reinvent your, yourself as many times as you want and, and uh, become something new each day. And, and there are no standards to adhere to, he says. And it's your story to tell, so tell it however you want. Tell a story worth remembering, he says. So the world and, and culture has a completely, utterly different definition of, of identity than the Bible does. Culture says you can be whoever you want to be. If you're a man and you want to be a woman, go ahead. If you're a woman and you want to be a man, go ahead. There's this uh, A-lister actress, I won't name her, been in a lot of movies, a lot of big blockbuster movies, and she desired the same sex. And so, not only that, but, but now she wants to become a man and she's changed her name. And she's being applauded for that. She's, she's being called brave. And we want to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that will never change. But there are things that culture teaches that are not biblical. There are things that culture teaches that, that are not godly. It's very different. New age is very different. You can become who you want to be. You can start over every day. You can invent yourself, and then you can reinvent yourself. But the Bible says, the Word of the living God says, when you trust in Jesus as your life, your identity is found in the Creator of the universe. And you don't have to try to be somebody. You don't have to reinvent yourself and try to uh, discover new qualities. Uh, when you trust in Jesus and He becomes your life and you begin to follow Him, you begin to pursue Him, what you're doing is you're becoming the person you were initially made to be. Isn't that beautiful? That happens through Jesus. Through Christ. Through the God who saves. And I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Paul, in these set of words, new creation, what he's getting at here is this new creation that comes about in your life, it's exclusively through the work of God. Imagine, the Bible says that you were created in your mother's womb. You were knitted in your mother's womb. God created you before the foundation of the world. He knew you. That's already incredible and amazing. And then you live your life and, and you're living your life uh, in rebellion against God and then someone told you about Jesus or you're sitting in a church and you heard the Word of God and your life was changed. You trusted in Jesus. You now identify with Christ. Your life in the past is gone. Behold, you're a new creation. So as you were knitted together in your mother's womb, imagine it's a, it's a canvas and it's got all of these different colors and it's just full. The whole canvas is full, and that's your life. And then, as you become a new creation, a new person, your identity is now found in Christ, 
uh, behold a blank canvas, a brand new life, a new identity, a new creation. And that is done through God's Spirit. That is supernatural. That is not of this world. You can try as hard as you want to become a new person, a better version of yourself. You'll continue throughout your life longing to do the same thing over and over again. Paul is saying when, you, when your identity is found in Jesus, you're a brand new person, a new creation. And it's only done through the supernatural work of God. And that's amazing. What the Bible is teaching is that for Jesus to give you a fresh start and to create a new identity in Him, it can only be done through the supernatural work of God. My life was associated with alcoholism. Even after I was sober and was following Jesus, I was still associated with that past. And even internally, I thought, I guess I'm just a recovering alcoholic. I still had this attached to me, but I felt like I was a new person. My life was changed. It was as if I had never drank before. That's where I felt in my life. I'm on a new path. I'm a new person. I was telling my testimony to a professor at our school, a great woman of, of God, an incredible professor who was Selah's mentor, and, and um, I was sharing with her my testimony, and I said, you know, people still, I feel like they, they try not to drink around me, and, and which is okay, I, I totally understand that, but they, I feel like I'm still being associated with being an alcoholic. And I feel like, okay, now I'm just a recovering alcoholic, and, and I need to count the days that I haven't drank. And she looked at me, and it was as if Jesus was sitting in that seat because she spoke the Word of God over me and she said, you're not an alcoholic anymore. You're a new creation. And tears started streaming down my face because God's Word had entered into my heart in a way that I hadn't experienced before. I was a new creation. I was not an alcoholic. I'm a new person. And my identity is found in God. Nothing else. And, you know, Jesus talks about this to one of the great... Jewish teachers, Nicodemus. Maybe you know the story in John 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's a little confused. And it says in the ESV that he was a ruler of the Jews. So he's a great teacher. Had a lot of influence. And Jesus, by the way, is not impressed with that. Not impressed with your money or your influence or your power or your authority or any of those things. Not impressed with any of that. And so... This ruler of the Jews comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, you know, that's all fine and dandy that you're a ruler of the Jews and you teach the Scriptures, but unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, point blank, I don't care what credentials you have, unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus asks a, a very thought-provoking question, to be honest. He says, okay... Well, how can a man be born again? How can a man go back into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus, I don't understand. We're talking about this ruler of the Jews asking this question. How can a man go back into the womb? And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, bro, you are missing it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What the Bible is teaching here in all of these verses it is, it is a supernatural work of God that we become children of God, that we become born again, that we inherit a, a new identity in Christ. The only way that is possible is through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus offers you a new identity through His Spirit. My third point is this. Jesus offers you His presence. 
Jesus offers you His presence. This is just icing on the cake. At this point, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew was quoting a prophecy given 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So they were speaking of this Emmanuel, this God who will one day come decades, centuries before Jesus would ever come to be born. You know, in the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple to pray, or you know, you went, there was the tent of meeting. You wanted to meet with God, there was a specific place to go. And after I'd become a new Christian, I, uh, you know, I'd seen a lot. Of, I'd seen enough movies where, you know, people were in church buildings to pray. And often they'd sit in the pews and then a clergyman would walk by and anything that they may have needed. And so for someone to want to pray, you go to a church building. That's what you do. And so it was about 5.30 or 6 o'clock one evening. The sun was still up. And I wanted to go meet with God. I wanted to go pray. So I went to the church and by myself. And, and um, unbeknownst to me, I go to the front door and the door's locked. I'm like, what? Why is the door locked? I need to pray. I. I need to meet with God and the door's locked. <laughs> and uh, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty, and the wonder and the magic and the power of the birth of Christ is that God has come to us and He will remain with us. That's the beauty of the gospel. If you came to Jesus by faith, if you've been baptized, you identify with Jesus in His death and His burial and His resurrection, you have been given new life, You've been forgiven of all sin. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit indwells you. You don't have to go here or there to pray. God is with you. He lives in you. Not only is your identity in Christ, but God's Spirit indwells you as a Christian. And if Christ lives in you, then God lives in you. And that's the beauty of the Gospel. The same Spirit who brought the universe into existence is the same Spirit that brought life to man it's the same Spirit that brought life into Jesus. It's the same Spirit that brought Jesus into the world. It's the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. It's the same Spirit that brings new life in His name. And it's the same Spirit that offers you a new beginning, a fresh start, and a new identity. And it's the exact same Spirit that if you are in Christ, indwells you. He lives in you. God is with you, Emmanuel. Every step you take in this life, God is with you. Every person you talk to, God is with you. Every plane that you board, pre-COVID, post-COVID, if that happens, God is with you. Every interaction you have, God is with you. But Jesus offers a new beginning. He offers a fresh start. He offers a new identity. And the icing on the cake is God is with you at all times in your life. I'll close with this. Really, let me, let me ask you a question. Who do you know that could use a fresh start? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you feel like you need a new beginning in your life. Maybe you're just, you came in here this morning you just wish there's things, Nate, I, I wish I could put to rest. And I don't know how to do it. If you feel like you need a fresh start, maybe a fresh start for you this morning is you need someone to pray for you. You need someone to pray for you a brother or sister in Christ, to pray over you. And I would invite you to come and do that during this last song. But who do you know that needs a fresh start?
Who do you know in your family that needs a new beginning? Who do you know in your neighborhood, in your subdivision, in your workplace that, that could use a fresh start? Who do you know that's going through some of the things that you once went through and they could use a fresh start? The birth of Jesus brings to our world and to our culture new life. It's only found in Him. And a fresh start that the Bible talks about today, it's only found in Jesus. Centuries before the birth of Christ, the prophets prophesied. One day a Messiah will come. A Savior will come. He, He will live a perfect life, but He'll die on the cross for the sins of many. And that many could be someone in this room who needs to step forward, take a leap of faith, come forward, surrender your life to Jesus, let heaven open up and invade your heart, and let God save you. Elizabeth was looked upon as cursed. Elizabeth was barren. She was Elizabeth the barren. She couldn't have kids. And it brought disgrace upon her But then God got involved. And when God gets involved, things change. And Elizabeth became pregnant. Here's what it says. She's received the news. She's given birth. Here's what it says. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. The one who could never have kids. Scientifically, physically impossible. She's now given birth. And she bore a son. Just like they said she would. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her and they rejoiced with her. Something supernatural happened in Elizabeth's life and people heard about it. Her neighbors, her relatives, her family, and they saw that what happened to her was not humanly possible. It must be from God. And they rejoiced with her. You know, something's happened in your life and mine that was not possible through, through the physical, through science. It was only possible because of God. Your life has been changed forevermore because Christ came in you. The hope of glory. There's something about all of us. If Christ lives in us, we have a story to tell. You may have neighbors. You may have relatives. They need to hear the good news that God has saved me. He has changed my life. Let them rejoice in that. You have a story to tell. What a better time than Christmas to tell that story. So we handed these out. There's one on like every other couple of seats. If you got one, great. If you didn't, please get one on the way out. We'll give these out next week as well. I want to encourage you to take this Maybe bake some cookies. Go buy something. Go visit your neighbors. Neighbors maybe you don't know. Invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Invite them to come next Sunday. Say, hey, I I know we don't know each other, but I have a story I want to tell you. Who I used to be and and how Jesus changed my life. It's so easy. So easy. And I want to encourage all of us to do this. To take this. Go invite people to come and hear the good news. God has come to us in the person of Christ. He offers a new beginning, a fresh start, a new identity, and icing on the cake, His presence goes with us. That's the Gospel. Church, let's stand and worship together. If 
you need a fresh start today, if you, if you need prayer, please come forward. I'll stand here. We'll worship together. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus and let Him save you from your sins and offer up these things. I want to invite you to do that as well. Let's worship together.